Well, as I have gotten older, um, I have come to appreciate uh, the cycles and routines uh, of life, whether they be the daily ones of waking up in the morning and making a pot of coffee and going out and doing farm chores and then making breakfast uh, for my boys to the weekly cycles of going to work, riding my bike on Tuesday night, to weekends spent with my family and coming to church on Sunday, to the annual cycles of the springtime when I work off the Christmas weight that has uh, come on through racing my mountain bike, to the summer when we go on family vacations, to the fall, which is hunting season. There are many, many cycles that form um, our lives that help give us meaning and help us to understand uh, who we are and what we're doing. These cycles are part of our human existence, and they are something that we as people over centuries uh, have come to recognize um, as being of critical importance. But our lives are actually more than just a simple cycle that repeats itself over and over and over again. In his book, The Gifts of the Jews, Thomas Cowell argues that a critical change happened in Western civilization. Within the matrix of ancient religions and philosophies, life was seen to be part of an endless cycle of birth and death. Time was like a wheel, spinning endlessly. Yet somehow, the ancient Jews began to see time differently. For them, time had a beginning and an end. It was a narrative in whose triumphant conclusion would come in the future. We as followers of Jesus know that that somehow the Jews came to this conclusion was because God had spoken. God had revealed something that could be seen no other way unless God revealed it. And that revelation is the biblical narrative. The biblical narrative that begins in a garden and ends in a city, the city of God. A garden in the past and a city in the future. And in the middle is the story that we find ourselves in, to borrow the title of the book by Brian McLaren. In that story, from beginning to end, there is one major inflection point in that, one point in which everything changes, and that is in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Our reading today comes from the book of Hebrews, and it focuses on the sharpest point of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and the difference it makes for our lives and indeed the difference it makes for the entire cosmos. So I invite you now to open your Bibles. We are going to be reading from Hebrews chapter 10, and I'm going to be, begin at verse 11 and read through till verse 18. 
So Hebrews 10, verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by offering a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. This is the word of the Lord. Now, over the last uh, two weeks, you have heard from Pastor Chelsea, and you've heard from Pastor Kelly, and now you're hearing from me. And I'm going to warn you, you are hearing the same message again. Both Kelly and Chelsea remarked that there is repetition in the book of Hebrews, and I am here to tell you that there is repetition again um, with the message today. Uh, The repetition is not there uh, because there is nothing else that needs to be said, but the repetition is there because it's important. And so it is my hope that as we open this text together, and we hear something again, you can hear it from a slightly different angle. And I think that's one of the really beautiful things about sharing the pulpit um, like we do here. You can hear uh, similar messages, but hear them from a slightly different angle and perhaps hear them in a new way. And so that is my hope um, for us today as we open God's word together. Now, I did read from verse 11 through to verse 18, and actually written in the worship package goes right through to verse 25. But I found as I was preparing it, there was just so much there I needed to narrow it down. And although I read to 18, we're going to really focus on verses 11 through 14. And in these verses, the preacher of Hebrews is making a comparison between the work of the Jewish priests on one hand and the work of Jesus on the other. And this comparison is done not by showing how they are the same, but by showing how they are different. And this difference is made in two ways. First, there is the repetition of the Jewish priests' work. Every priest day after day, repeats the same sacrifices. There is monotonousness in this. And the result is that it can never take away sin. Listen to it. And every priest stands day after day, repeating again and again, the same sacrifices that can never take away sin. Now compare that to Jesus. All time, single sacrifice, 
by a single offering, it's done. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. There's nothing monotonous about this. It's done once, and it's done. There is a finality in what Jesus has done. The work of the priests covered sin. The work of Jesus actually removes the sin. It takes it away. Now the second difference here between the priests and Jesus is the posture or position that they take. Look what the text says. The priests stand. The priests stand day after day. Now this is a cue to us that something is going on with that word stand. It is only a recent phenomena that people are able to sit and do work. Over the centuries, people stood and were active when they were working. It's now a relative luxury that many of us have the opportunity to work and sit. But for the people who the writer of the Hebrews was originally preaching to, when they see stand, they would see work. This is work that is being done. When I was in my 20s, I worked for a number of years at a fishing lodge on the west coast of Haida Gwaii. And one of the things that I needed to do in this was stand at a cutting table and cut fish. And we're not talking about cutting, you know, three or four or even ten fish. We are talking hundreds of fish every single day. Fish after fish after fish. The same fish, over and over and over again. And no days off. Every day, from the end of May until the beginning of September, cutting fish. Every fish cutter stands day after day, performing the same task that can never stop the flow of fish coming in. Now at the end of each day, we did get that day's fish cut. And what would we do at the end? We would go to the staff gazebo and we would sit down with each other. We sit down because the work for the day is done. But notice where we sit. We don't sit at that cutting table we go somewhere else to sit down. In the Jewish temple and in the Holy of Holies, the place where God's presence dwelt, there was no seat. There was no seat because the priest would come in, do the work standing, and then would leave. But look where Jesus is sitting now in the text. Jesus is sitting 
at the right hand of God, in the very presence of God. He's there at God's right hand. We read in the gospel accounts that the curtain is torn. It's not that Jesus goes into the holy place, is there with God, and it's just him. He is there with God. He is God. And we have full access to that place because of what Jesus has done. Now this comparison of the work of the priests versus the work of Jesus is not some abstract comparison for theologians to ponder, for, for philosophers to look at. Rather, it is a critical truth for us as the followers of, of Jesus to look at, understand, appreciate, and indwell. Look at verse 14. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Jesus has perfected people. It is a completed action. He is not perfecting people. He has perfected them. But who are these people? Because when I look at myself, when I look at others, I don't see perfection. But it is none other than you and me, the followers of Jesus, who Jesus has perfected. It is not that our behaviors and our thoughts are perfect. They are far from that. But rather, the consequences and the effect that those sins have upon us have been taken away. Our sins are now no longer counted against us. Jesus, by doing his work, has taken that away. By one single offering, has taken the sin away. We have been made perfect. Our criminal record, if you will, has received a complete and total pardon because of the single sacrifice offered for all time by Jesus Christ. If you look in verse 17, I will remember their sins no more, their lawless deeds no more. We are meant to be jarred by this. To be referred to as perfect? No. We're not. No, that's not us. We carry that shame. We carry that memory of all of those things that we have done that are outside the will of God. We say, I'm not perfect. And this text here is to tell us that we are. But we need to hold this in tension with the next part 
of verse 14. Jesus has perfected who? Those who are being sanctified. They are perfect, completed action, being sanctified, something that's ongoing. What's going on here? In my ignorance, I hear the word perfected and sanctification and go, oh, they're one and the same. We can interchange those two. But it's not. The phrase, those who, or Jesus has perfected, so completed, and those who are being sanctified, we need to understand the relationship that exists between the two of them. It is not as if the writer here is speaking out of both sides of their mouth. They're saying one and the same thing. We need to correct our misunderstandings that we have around the word sanctification. My ignorance leads me to think it means perfection. I came across a definition of sanctification that I found really, really helpful. To sanctify someone or something is to set that person apart for its intended use by the designer. And so a pen is sanctified when it is used to write. Eyeglasses are sanctified when it is used to correct vision. In the theological sense, things are sanctified when they are used for the purpose that God intends. A human being is therefore sanctified when he or she lives according to God's design and purpose. Jesus has perfected those who are being sanctified, those who are participating in the purposes that God has designed them for. They may not be perfectly participating in all of those purposes, but they have been made perfect and given the opportunity to participate in those purposes. Let me give you an example of what I see this looking like. Or maybe I should say an example that helps illuminate sanctification and its difference from um, perfection. You may recall a few months ago, Elon Musk took a red Tesla sports car, put it in a rocket, put a dummy astronaut in it, set the stereo to David Bowie's space oddity, and sent it off into space. And there were these bizarre photos of a beautiful red car drifting through space. Now, I don't know if any of you have been in a Tesla, but I have a friend who has one, and it is a thing of beauty. (laughs) He took me for a ride in it, and you go up to it, and you open the door handle. It's like, oh, that's perfect. The door perfectly opens up. You sit down, and it's so comfortable. And the dash, oh. (laughs) We haven't even 
taken this thing out for a spin yet. And he pulls out of the parking lot. He says, you got your seatbelt on? I'm like, yep. And he punches it. And that thing accelerates so fast, and it's dead quiet. And here's the thing. No emissions. The thing's electric. Now, I don't know if a Tesla is the perfect car, but it's getting pretty close. (laughs) That perfect car is definitely not sanctified when it gets put in a rocket (laughs) that spews pollution out the back, taken up into space, and gets pushed off to go to God knows where. But when we look and hear about that story, we go, wow, isn't that amazing? This red sports car in space. (laughs) It's really silly. That car, let's say, is perfect. It's not being used for its intended purpose. Its intended purpose is to have people sit in it here on earth and move them to where they need to go, not drift aimlessly through space. We have been made perfect. Yet all too often, rather than fulfilling the purposes we've been given, that we are called to do, we are like a red sports car drifting through space. And here's the thing, we can look at those things and we can go, wow, that's amazing. And the world may affirm those things in us. But it's not what God has called us to. And so when we are sanctified, we are pursuing the ends that God has called us to do. We are doing the things that God has called us to do. And it might be big things, like the major life events we have and the jobs we take and the places we live, but it's also in the smaller things. How do we treat others? How do we speak to them? How do we spend our money? Where do we live? How do we live? These are the things that God wants his purposes to match what we're doing. And so we are called to live that out. Now, I began by talking about how we order our lives around cycles and systems. Systems that can be repetitive. And my intent was not to say that the systems are wrong in and of themselves, because they're not in many cases. My point was that those systems that we participate in, we need to recognize they need to be contributing to the end goal on where our lives are going and what God is doing in this world. And so we, as perfected people, can participate in cycles and systems 
that sanctify us and indeed sanctify the entire world. These systems are not wrong. We just need to recognize there is more than those systems and cycles. Our tendency is to want to try and achieve perfection by doing things over and over and over again so that by doing those things, we can make ourselves perfect and we can come before God and say, guess what? I read my Bible. I prayed. I gave my money. I did this. I did that. Look at me. This passage is telling us we're already there. We're forgiven. We're accepted. You don't need to go out and earn this. You're perfected. Now, because you're perfected, you can go live in the way that God has called you to live. This is what the gospel really is. The gospel is that Jesus has done everything already. He has completely and totally looked after all of our sin for all time. Once, it's done. And we now have the opportunity to live life forward from that, building upon that to take that truth and live it out for the purposes that God has called us to. And that, that is the good news.